0: And I believe the woman of Samaria would rejoice that Jesus paid for all her sins. Jesus paid it all. As the inhabitants of Sychar, the citizens of that city, are going to say in verse 42, we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Because they were outside that commonwealth of Israel. They weren't Jews. They were Samaritans and they were thankful for salvation in Christ. We're in John 4, and let's take a few minutes and see how far we can get in the remainder of our Lord's exchange with his disciples and with those citizens of Sychar. Verse 27 told us, upon this, that is the exchange between Jesus and the woman of Samaria, upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or, Why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot, and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city, and came unto him. Amen. We're going to learn more about that crowd momentarily. Many of them were already believers. Many more will become believers as they hear Jesus preach to them. Verse 31. In the meanwhile, while she's going to get the men of the city and bringing them out during that elapsed time, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Now this is going to cause a little consternation to the poor disciples. They have come back with bags of groceries, and they're encouraging their Lord and Master to eat, and there's nothing wrong with that. Even the Lord Jesus Christ had to eat, or he wouldn't be preaching for very long. However, there's there's priorities that need to be taught, and Jesus is going to teach them a priority, and then he is going to remind them about evangelism. The way that they speak, they brought back groceries without having done anything in the city of Samaria, and they bring back groceries thinking that they can have themselves a nice little picnic here at Jacob's well. And they were waiting for the Lord to ask who got the Twinkies so that they could share some Twinkies with the Lord. Their minds are on the food and the eating, which has to be done. What Martha was doing ordinarily needs to be done, but Mary chose the better part, And the woman of Samaria chose the better part, and our Lord always chose the better part. And he's going to explain that. He said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Jesus is a master at taking a common thing that is in the conversation and turning it into a metaphor. He's used water. Woman, give me to drink from the well of Jacob. And then he took that water and converted it to himself and salvation and the Holy Spirit. He's going to take meat, and then he's going to take the harvest season in short order right here, in a few verses, to teach his apostles some lessons, and we want those lessons. We do not want to look into the Word of God, which is described in the Bible as a mirror, and see our flaws and our faults, and not correct ourselves. Let's not be like the apostles In this place, let's be more like the woman of Samaria and let's be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in verse 32, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Now the apostles were consistently, until the Lord gave them the Holy Spirit, very much like Nicodemus and the woman. Nicodemus, when he heard about being born again, asked about going the second time into his mother's womb and be birthed again. The woman wanted to know how Jesus was going to give her water, living water, when he didn't have a vessel to draw with. They think carnally, they think naturally. And when we read the Bible, let's make sure that we read it carefully and cautiously, and we are willing to see a spiritual sense on words and not push a carnal or a literal sense. Many errors have come from that carnal or literal sense of words in the Bible. Verse 33 shows us their consternation. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him ought to eat? Did someone else bring him some food while we were in town? And so we're late to get the Lord his food. That's what they're talking among themselves. Jesus saith unto them in verse 34, My meat is not... Burgers to grill here at Jacob's well. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Notice the Lord's great patience with his apostles. They could have asked him. They could have tried to think spiritually. By now they should have got the idea that from time to time, Jesus did use things in a spiritual way. But like Nicodemus and the woman earlier they wonder where he got his food from. Jesus used the word meat. Food popped up, meat popped up in the exchange between Jesus and his apostles because it tells us in verse 8, for his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. When they returned, Jesus uses the word meat in a spiritual way. And he teaches us a lesson, he taught them a lesson by doing this. And he was good at doing this. Jesus had a sense of duty, priority, and urgency for things far beyond eating. He had to eat in order to preserve his life. But there is an order of priority, and we want to get that. We want the order of priority that Jesus had and that he taught to his apostles. Doing the will of God was more important to Jesus than eating their food. Mary sitting at Jesus' feet in Luke chapter 10 was more important than being in the kitchen preparing a meal for the Son of God. And Jesus told them that Mary had chosen the better part. We want to choose the better part. What is your meat? What is my meat? That's what we need to ask and answer ourselves. What is your meat? What's the most important thing to you? Does this little life and its meals, this little life and its fun, this little life and its pleasures, this little life and the dandelions in your yard, this little life and sweeping out the garage again, is that your meat? Show me some real meat. Show me the meat that Jesus cared about. And that meat, he explains to us, was to do the will of God. Look at that 34th verse. We want to embrace these words. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Not only do I want to get started in serving the Lord, but I want to finish the assignments God has given me. Jesus did not even indirectly condemn them for going into town for food. He is simply using this as an object lesson for them. Jesus knew fully well that without food, he would not be able to do the will of God himself. He was convicted to please God and to evangelize the approaching crowd, and so he wants to get their minds on the right thing. And he he had a will of God known in his life, and that was to preach the gospel. He said that from his very first words in Mark chapter 1 and other places where you can read about Jesus knowing what God's will was for his life. Praise God that he was no less committed or convicted to save your soul. Are you glad that it was his meat to do the will of God, and to finish that work? Because that will and that work and finishing it included you. Amen. It was on the cross when he said, it is finished, because he had finished the Father's work, and the Father's work was you included. We want to have that same spiritual priority over the other things in our life. Your, body, your flesh the world, and the devil wants you preoccupied with meals, food, fun, cars, house, junk, jobs, school, and so forth. All of those things which are necessary in their proper place, somewhere under your feet, in comparison to embracing with your heart spiritual things. This is no different right here than set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. He's just using their exhortation for him to eat as an opportunity for an object lesson for them to get their priorities straight. Right. Let's keep ours straight. Brethren, we live in the perilous times of the last days in a country that pushes us at us, pushes it at us maybe harder than anywhere else, because of America's prosperity. Prosperity we thank God for, yet we know inside prosperity dulls our spiritual senses. If we were in Uzbekistan, and we had members of this church in prison, and we had seven stones in our church cemetery for ministers killed over the last two years, and if that could happen to us before the end of the year, you'd have your affections in the right place with a greater probability than we have in America. There's too much junk for you to do when you get out of here. Mm-hmm. This world's going to come after you with a tsunami of fun and pleasure, eats and joys and, and things to do. And we need to be like this. We need to remind ourselves, and so we let John 4 do it as we see the Lord Jesus Christ reminding his apostles. My meat You men of mine want me to eat right now, and that is okay. But my meat, my real business, is to do the will of God and to finish his work. If we are saved with a new nature and we truly know God, we're going to be similar to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at the life of Saul of Tarsus, the change in duty were drastic. Saul of Tarsus, his life changed. He was consumed with serving the Lord Jesus Christ right there on the road to Damascus. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And what did he do for the rest of his life but diligently make his meat the will of God? And what was the will of God for Saul of Tarsus? Preach my gospel to Gentiles. Well, Lord, that's the rest of the world. I know. Get used to traveling. And so Saul of Tarsus went everywhere. He said he was free from the blood of all men in Asia. That Asia is Asia Minor of the Roman Empire. His enemies said he had turned the world upside down. He went with that diligence of keeping the Lord's things first. None of you are called to be the Apostle Paul. However, Colossians chapter 3 that I've already mentioned, set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth, was written to no apostle. It was written to ordinary church members in the city of Colossae. Consider how Job and David valued the words of God. David said, I, I esteem the words of his mouth more than my necessary necessary food. There's a good comparison. More than my necessary food, those meals, those snacks that you or I think we have to have every day. Job said, I esteem or value the words of God more important than that for you to be like Job. And Job was greatly blessed by God. And there were wonderful things said about Job in the first five verses of the book of Job. You need to esteem God's words and his will for your life more important than even your necessary food. David said that the word of God was to him sweeter than honey in the honeycomb and more valuable to him than much fine gold. We should eagerly and passionately pursue God's will for us from the Bible. The particular will here is primarily ministerial in nature for preaching the gospel and saving the lost with the Lord Jesus Christ as their apostles. But when an opportunity arises for us to do some spiritual good, nothing else should get in the way. We should drop our water pot like the woman did, and we shouldn't worry so much about eating as we do serving the Lord. The reason we eat is for strength to serve the Lord. Everything we do should be restructured in our lives and priorities and purposes, and it's to serve the Lord. A job should not be the end of our lives. Serving the Lord should be the end. Eating should not just be for health, but to survive in order to serve the Lord. Just always putting service to God first in our lives. And so we have this metaphor used by the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 34, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Most anyone and most everyone starts jobs they never finish. Not the Lord Jesus Christ. He finished the work his father had given him to do. Solomon started well, didn't he? Solomon started very well, ended very badly. Jehu started well, ended terribly. They never finished the work God gave them. But on the cross of Calvary, Jesus, our Savior, the Son of God, the Messiah and the Christ of this fourth chapter of John, finished all that the Father had assigned him and said so. Your life, your life, your race given to you from God, assigned from God, his will for you, Is by your finish. Let's finish it. When we run a race, it does not matter how you run lap two out of a four lap race. Are you going to finish? And so here we are, some are older, some are younger, some are in the middle, and we have little, some, or a lot of time left in the ordinary course of things. How are you running your race? Let's finish strong. Let's be like the Lord Jesus Christ and do what the last part of verse 34 says finish his work. He finished his work. What is yours? What's your legacy? What are you going to leave? What influence do you have? What effect have you had in the city of Sychar? Where is your city of Sychar? Where is your woman of Samaria? Where are the men of your city? Who are they? Aquila and Priscilla were not apostles. But they pulled Apollos aside and converted him and sent him on into Corinth from Ephesus, and he mightily convinced the Jews there. There's a residual, there's a collateral, there's there's an extended effect on us realizing God's will, and in this particular chapter, the emphasis is going to be on telling others. He that winneth souls is wise. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Are you a tree of life to others? Let's let's let this passage convict us that we ought to be more considerate, compassionate, interested, and affectionate for individual souls. Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of glory, the Prince of the kings of the earth, cared about this Samaritan woman. And he he shows it to us here in this chapter. The next metaphor, verse 35, speaking to his apostles, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Is that the common timing among you disciples? Behold, I say unto you, I have a different view than four months from sowing to a harvest or from now to a harvest. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he's gonna go on and he's gonna pursue this second metaphor. The first metaphor of meat is over. The meat was, God's given me an assignment to do. I'm gonna do that, and that is my priority, and I'm not gonna let eating or other activities encroach on it. They're necessary, some of them are necessary. Half the things you do are not necessary. Let's be realistic. Some things are necessary, but I'm going to finish what God gave me to do. What has God given you to do? If you're a wife, your duties are laid out in the Word of God. If you're a mother, you have duties laid out in the Word of God. If you're a neighbor, you have duties laid out. If you have a mind that thinks from time to time, your thoughts have already been ordered by God on how you should think. If you have a mouth, and sometimes it makes noises... You have, you have orders given to you from heaven on what kind of noises should come out of that mouth. The Bible that deals with our entire lives from top to bottom, from inside, outside. The thoughts that we have, the speech that we have, what we do, where we go, how we do it, all of it. We can't curse our rulers even in our hearts. I don't care what you think. There isn't anybody in here that knows anything. We leave that to God. He knows everything. He'll take care of us. He's always taken care of us. Just run back through the presidents we've had for the last 50 years, 60 years. He'll take care of us. You know, we're nine days away from him taking care of us again. And he'll do it in such a way that he's going to get glory from every conceivable angle. And do you know what the angle is from our church? The angle is, are we going to submit to Ecclesiastes 10:20, Second Peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 12, Jude chapter 1 verses 8 through 10, and the other places in the Bible that tell us to honor those that are in authority, to pray for them and to be thankful for them. Amen. That's, that's the test for us. Is it going to be hard? No one harder than your pastor. But he's going to do it. And it's a daily struggle. But all these parts of our lives are dealt with in the Bible. God's given us his will. Let's finish it. Let's remember the question, what is your meat? I have meat that ye know not of. We all happen to know each other's meat. If you're a woman, we know how you should be treating your husband. If you're a married man, we know how you should be treating your wife. If you're a child or a youth or you're not, and you still have living parents we know how you should be honoring them. All those things are laid out to us in the word of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ finished God's will and work for his life, and he wants us to do the same. So we come to 35. Say not ye. Isn't it common right now that there are yet four months and then cometh harvest? Isn't that the ordinary way of thinking the Savior is asking? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes And look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. Without going off into grains and talking about the different colors, because I really don't care, and it's just a waste of time and it distracts people, when the crop finally turned white, you knew this particular crop, and we don't even know what kind of crop he was talking about, but whatever crop the Lord Jesus was talking about, when the tops, whatever, turned white, It was time to harvest it. So they measured it by its color. It may have started green. It may have turned to yellow. Yes, I've done some foolish reading, and it may have turned to white. Then you know it's time to harvest. And Jesus is saying, there isn't four months to wait. There isn't time to sit around and eat and take our leisure here at Jacob's well. Look. Look what he, in the second half of the verse, behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now he's using a metaphor of fields with actual plants and actual color scheme of those plants, but he's really referring spiritually to the mob, the crowd that's coming out of the city of Sychar because of that woman going and getting the men of her city We read back there in verse 30, then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, we get these two little lessons so that when they arrive, the disciples are prepped. And hopefully we've got a little prepping ourselves by being here today, that we want to be looking. There's people. That's all it takes is people. Listen, Drop drop a few hints now and then. See what kind of a response you get. Now Jesus knew more than we do. So Jesus could just say, give me to drink. And could work from there with the woman of Samaria because he knew her. She'd been born in Zion. And she was about to become a citizen of Zion practically. Do you know how many baptisms were going on in Sychar over the next 48 hours? As the apostles baptized the converts of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to think about it. What was taking place in that city by Jesus going after one woman and that one woman knew that this was not information you wanted to keep to yourself. She left her water pot and got back into that city to bring her men out. And it it appears that most or all of the city was converted by Jesus dealing with one woman and one woman who wanted to share that with others. I say unto you, apostles, it's not four months to harvest. It's right now. Get ready. They're about here. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, already to harvest. They, it's just ready to cut down, bind up into sheaves, and put in the barn. Because he'd done all the work. He'd done all the work in his divine nature by saving them and regenerating them, and he'd already done a great deal of practical work by converting the woman to go and say, is not this the Christ? And giving evidence by him knowing events about her life that he otherwise could not have known. And so these men have come out, and some of them are already believers by her testimony only. Look at verse 39. I just want to get ahead so that you can see that. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. Notice, she doesn't say to them, he told me that he was the Christ. He told me all things that I ever did. He got into the private details of my life that he would not know about. He's a Jew. You you all know me because I live here in Sychar. But he told me all, all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And it says there in that 39th verse, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. And so they come out, they're already believing. They want him to stay for a couple of days. So he preaches to them, and many, it says many more, as we go on to the next verses, many more believed on him that heard him personally, rather than just the testimony of the woman. Back at verse 35 Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. There was a crowd coming out of Sychar, and he wanted those apostles ready because they had a will of God for their lives and they had a work to do. And do you know what? It was the same as our Lord's. Preach the gospel and they were about to get an audience. They didn't know why Jesus and the woman of Samaria were talking, but they're about to be talking to 100 or 500 or 1,000 coming out of this city of Sychar. They were going to preach to them, and that was the harvest. God had prepared the souls of those people. Instead of being like the citizens of the city of the Gadarene and asking Jesus to leave their coast, instead of being like the rulers of the Jews in John 9 with the man born blind... They threw him out of the synagogue. They threw him out of temple worship. They did not receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was the common treatment in in Israel among the Jews of those in positions of religious leadership. But here, these poor, despised Samaritans, they're coming out in mass to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, some of them already believing this could be the Messiah. They were looking for him. They knew he was coming. They knew that he would tell them all things because the woman confessed that herself there in verse 25. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Jesus is continuing his metaphor about harvest time, that there is no time to wait. Jesus asked them to check out the field, and he wasn't talking about grain. A crowd came from Sychar, and that is so exciting to think about As he used these illustrations to get their attention and to point out what usually happens. Usually, a farmer that owns some ground makes an investment in seed and puts it in the ground, and there's some celebration when he does it, even though it is a total loss for the moment of his capital. He puts his capital in the ground and then he has to wait. And he waits and he waits. He had the job of sowing. Later, there's going to be the job of reaping. And when they reap, it's time to celebrate because then you can take account of your yield from that particular field and you can put it in your barns and you can calculate, I, have, I need this much to live on. I need this much to feed my ox. Aha, I have more seed. I will rent a hundred more acres or I'll buy more acreage. But there's time involved. It's what I, That's important. The capital investment of farming and getting an 800 to 1 return on corn is just exciting for a couple of minutes. There's 16 rows of 50 kernels on a cob of corn. Did you know that? 16 times... For, don't let me go beyond my leash. I, don't, I do not like a man from Iowa in my audience when it comes to corn. (laughs) Put one seed in the ground, 800 come out. And if you have one of those crazy stalks that has two cobs on it, you have 1600 to one. Let's not worry about that anymore. That's in the book of Proverbs. And we've been over that for other reasons. Let's talk about the delay. You know, this man you may have hired someone to come and sow your fields. There may be someone that specialized in sowing fields. They were good at it. They could cover more acreage faster and get that seed in well than others. So you hired someone to come and sow. Then you wait four months, six months, whatever the growing season is for whatever crop we're talking about. Then you need to hire reapers to come. And the two could be very different people. It could be the same farmer. It could be the same farmer. And sometimes it's the same minister. Sometimes it was the same apostle. At other times... It was one man preaching and another man reaping. And they had just sown the seed and it was growing and germinating by the influence of the Holy Spirit. Each of us heard things at different times in our lives that germinated by the influence of the Holy Spirit. And then we were brought to reaping. We were harvested. We were baptized. We embraced the Savior. We we committed our lives. We repented of our sins because we were ready for reaping. But it had started with just a seed being sown. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, after telling them to lift up your eyes and look on the fields, my men, disciples, apostles, I know we're in Samaria, and you thought that we would just be passing through and not really have any conversations with these people. Look what's coming out of that city. And here comes this crowd. And so the Lord's getting them ready. And we will, uh, let me just briefly go through the rest of this particular metaphor. Verse 36, and he that reapeth receiveth wages. My apostles, you will be rewarded for the work of the ministry that God's called you to, and you being out here in the middle of nowhere with me in Samaria next to Jacob's well. Don't worry, you're going to be rewarded. You're going to gather fruit unto eternal life. There's two ways in which you can see the words gather fruit unto eternal life. One is a minister by preaching the gospel and converting souls, lays up in store a good foundation against the time to come of eternal life. So it's eternal life for him. The Apostle Paul reasoned that way about his own life. At the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, "There is. I, kept the fi- I finished my course, I've kept the faith, I've fought a good fight. Henceforth, there is laid up for everyone that I converted. No, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Peter exhorted elders in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4 to be faithful in their jobs because a crown of glory was awaiting them in heaven. Jesus told these apostles later when they came back rejoicing from one of their preaching trips, don't get so excited that the devils are subject to you. Be excited that your names are written in heaven. And so he's he's encouraging his apostles, don't worry, you'll be rewarded. My gospel is going to include a charge that the laborer is worthy of his hire you will be compensated for what you're doing. And the greatest compensation is assisting in salvation by conveying to people the knowledge of eternal life to them. That's the most exciting thing is to see a person repent of their sins and change their life. There is nothing else. There's no love offering that you can give a real minister of God that even comes close to seeing even one soul repent of sins, change, and get excited about Jesus Christ. I happen to like that event from nine years ago. He can tell it as many times as he wants. He doesn't even have to ask me. Just before the song leader gets up here, take over the pulpit. I hope that every one of you feels that way. Donna, look what you did to me. (laughs) He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Can you imagine a community of farmers where they had sowers and reapers getting together after the harvest? Because they're excited. They now have a product from the efforts that they made. Though there was a gap of time in there when they couldn't tell if, how it was, what kind of a crop it was going to be, what kind of a yield it was going to be. But then at the end, oh, the guy that sowed didn't know until the end And the guy at the harvest is is enjoying it together, and they're just celebrating together. And God's ministers celebrate together as well, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth, because it may not be the same man either in agriculture or in preaching. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Who had bestowed the labor of sowing? the prophets of the Old Testament, John the Baptist, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is about to be realized in very specific detail. I did the work for that crowd that's (laughs) coming. They're getting closer, men. That crowd that's coming, I did the work. I talked to the woman of Samaria. She went back in, and this crowd that's coming that wants to hear more, I've prepared for you. All you've got to do is stick the sickle in, cut it down, and wrap it up in sheaves. That's what he's saying to them. It's not that deep of a lesson. And what we want to take away from it is do we care about other souls? And is there anyone we know that the Lord has prepared a little bit? And and he or she is kind of getting yellowish or white into harvest. It could be a relative, it could be a friend, it could be a colleague, it could be a neighbor, it could be someone at the gym. I don't want our church. Listen, this is one of the one of the uh, things that we want to do in our church for higher ground. Right. We don't just want to come in here and learn things ourselves, then go home and pick the dandelions out of our yard and eat another sub sandwich. We want to do something for the Lord and serve him. Right. And when we find people in the Bible, they want to share the truth. We want to share the truth when we have an opportunity to do so. And so, verse 38: I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored and year entered into their labors. They were the sowers. John the Baptist was the sower. The prophets of the Old Testament were the sower, so that men were expectant and waiting for the Messiah. There were prepared peoples around Israel and in Samaria. I know that Messiah is cometh and he shall tell us all things. Who gave her that? A sower. A sower gave her that. So Jesus got to sow. What what would we say from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that Jesus did? He watered and God gave the increase. By the time she got back to the apostles, she probably needed to be baptized. Isn't that one? That's how the Lord works. And he's encouraging his men to do it with two metaphors I have meat that ye know not of. And men, you ought to have meat as well. And that meat is to do the will of God. The most important thing to you should be preaching, not eating. Second, it's commonly said that there's four months until harvest. That crowd is 300 yards away, and they're going to be here shortly. There is not four months to harvest. That field is white right into harvest right now. I, the Lord and Master, are telling you this field is ready. We're going to stay here two days. We're going to baptize. The most of the city is going to be converted. They were converted by prophets, John the Baptist ministry, hearsay from among the Jews. I've helped the situation. Now jump in there and let's have some converts and leave a church here in Sychar of Samaria. Is that the most is that exciting? Yes. yes. And you know the Lord's come after us and done the same thing to us. Yes. Is there anyone you know? You know, today is a special day in a certain respect because we're studying this about Jesus dealing with the single woman of Samaria and the effect it had on a whole city. Today's a special day in the sense that Jerry got up and gave a testimony. And he's here. And he's been here for years with us. And there's a woman sitting in this assembly that came to me, and it wasn't at Jacob's well. She knows where it was, and I know where it was. And I was 18 or 19 years old. It changed my life. That was 40, 41 years ago. Who do you know? Lord, we have your will to fulfill in many different ways. My my meat is a little bit different than yours. We know what our meat is. It's in the word of God. How does he address? I'm saying it again. I know. How does he address wives? How does he address mothers? How does he address children? How does he address parents? How does he address employees? How does he address employers, citizens? All the different responsibilities we have, What does he tell us to grow in? What does he tell us to cut off and to mortify all the, we have a job to do and we don't want to get caught up in eating and drinking and marrying like they did in the days of Noah. Then the flood came and took them all away. We want the Lord Jesus Christ to come and find us doing the will of our father in heaven, finishing our races by running the last lap with all our might. And let's not forget that we can look around and see souls. It takes a while. You've got to drop little hints. You've got to listen carefully and see if someone has an interest in spiritual things and share some little thing with them. Do you notice how Jesus Christ went so slowly and just a little bit at a time? He didn't jump on the woman of Samaria, though there were things to jump on things to criticize is what I mean. He did not do that. He didn't condemn her. He led her along, telling her that there was a better way to live and that there is truth that she didn't know about yet. And eventually, she went into the city saying, is not this the Christ? Come and let me show you a man, the man Christ Jesus, our Savior. He's come after each one of us. He's the great and good shepherd of the sheep. May the Lord bless his preaching to the profit of our souls.